There's nothing better than thunder, rain, and young people loving Jesus. Amen. Nothing better. It took me three hours to get up here with another brother, but I'll tell you, it's worth every minute. Uh, so tonight, we're going to start uh, the title of the conference, if you'll look at your first page, is an overview of God's economy. And I want to read a verse to you. It's not on your page, uh, but it means a lot to me, this verse. This is from Isaiah. If you want to write this, just the reference down, you can. It's from Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, and I'm just going to read part of 9. It says, I am God, and there's no one like me. I am God, and there's no one like me. And then you know what the next verse says? Who declares the end from the beginning. He declares the end from the beginning. So that's exactly what we're going to do now, is we're going to declare the end from the beginning. And what I'd like to do is give a brief sketch of the whole conference. It will be in a few sentences, and I want you to take notes. And then after you take notes, I'm going to have you practice with one another for one or two minutes. And then after we practice with one another, I'm going to have one or two brothers come up here. And sisters, if you'd like to, we'd love to have you come up and actually practice sharing, declaring the end from the beginning. Okay, so number one. Okay, write this down. God has a plan. That is the first thing. God has a plan. Write that down. That's easy. Can you all say that? God has a plan. That's the first message. You got it. Okay. Then, the second thing I want you to write down is, Christ accomplished the plan. Christ accomplished the plan. Okay, God has a plan, but somebody's got to accomplish it. So that's Christ. He comes in to accomplish the plan. So can we all say that? Christ accomplished the plan. Very good. Now tell me, is this, e is this hard? No, this is easy. Okay, then the third thing I want you to write down is the Spirit applies what Christ accomplished. Okay, so we have the Spirit applying to us what Christ accomplished. So we have God's plan, Christ accomplished that plan, and we have the Spirit applying what Christ accomplished. Okay, that's the third thing I want you to write down. Now here's the fourth thing. When the Spirit applies the plan, the church is produced. Okay, so when the Spirit applies this plan, the church is produced. Okay, that's, that's the fourth thing. Here's the fifth thing. And the church brings in the kingdom. Okay, so the fifth thing is the church brings in the kingdom. And then lastly, the kingdom issues in the new Jerusalem. Okay, listen. It might sound very simple. Do you realize this is the whole Bible? From eternity past to eternity future, you start with God and you end up with the new Jerusalem. Okay, so I'll, I'll say it just very briefly and then I want you to practice two by two. God has a plan. Good. Yeah, a little more. You know, you got... And Christ accomplishes the plan. And the Spirit applies what Christ has accomplished. 
And when the Spirit applies, the church is produced. And the church brings in the kingdom. And the kingdom issues in the New Jerusalem. Okay, listen. First message, God's plan. Second message, Christ, his person and work. That's tomorrow morning. It's the Bible study. Third message, the Spirit's application. Fourth message, tomorrow night, don't miss it. I know about this message, the church. Don't miss that. This is going to be something else. Okay, then on Lord's Day morning, we didn't have enough time to touch the matter of the kingdom, so we will forego the kingdom, but we will touch the new Jerusalem on the Lord's Day morning. So I'm letting you know the end from the beginning. So I want you all now to practice these seven words with one another. Is it six or seven? Six. Six six words with one another. Go ahead and practice right now with your neighbor. Yeah. Okay, listen, the more, the more you speak it, the more it gets into you. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, we go back to our locality and, and uh, you know, the brothers and sisters there will ask, well, hey, how was the conference? It's great. And uh, what did you enjoy? Oh, we enjoyed Christ. And uh, they really want to hear some content of what you enjoyed. Okay, I'm giving you the content right from the get-go. All right, so Ty, come on up. Okay, and I want you to give this, these uh, wonderful six words. Now, Ty, you have to be animated when you come up here. No, Keck. And Reese is on deck. Yeah, come on up, bro. All right, bro. Now, you go and you just release to these people here. No, you don't look at anything. You just flow, bro. Okay. God has a plan. Amen. 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 Okay, you stay up here. Stay here. Reese, come on up. Okay, Reese is, uh, we met him at uh, orientation, right, this summer, Reese? Okay, yeah, come on up. Come on up. We want everybody to see you. And uh, so he is a fresh freshman. And we want to enjoy his fresh spirit right now. Uh, And by the way, I didn't talk to him before the meeting. This is all impromptu. All right, go, bro. Okay. God has a plan. Amen. Christ accomplished that plan. Amen. The Spirit applies what Christ accomplished. Amen. The Spirit applies what Christ accomplished. 
church is produced. Right. And the church brings in the kingdom. Amen. And the kingdom issues forth the new Jerusalem. Amen. Very good. Okay, you know, we had this one sister that used to meet with us, and then she moved to Houston. And uh, we, we miss her a lot, so we would like to see Jackie come on up here and do these words. Houston, you don't know what a jewel you got. And, and we know, Jack, you can do this, right? Okay, now you've got to be animated and just be released with your spirit, Jackie. Okay, God has a plan. Amen. Yeah. When the Spirit applies this plan, the church is produced. Yeah. The church brings the kingdom. Yeah. And the kingdom issues in the new Jerusalem. Amen. Amen. Very good. Amen. Okay. Wait, wait, Jackie, stay up here. Stay up here. We're not going to let you go so quick. Okay, then we have Whitney right here. Whitney, you, you don't sit on the front row when I'm sharing, Whitney. Okay, come on up, Whitney. Yeah, come on up, Whitney. Okay, don't look at us. Just be released. Tell them all these wonderful things. Let me tell you. Yes! Yeah! Okay, you did the best so far. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Okay, now you, I think I think I'm not going to pick on people unless I know you. I just want to know if there's someone. Th these saints are all were originally from Austin. How about someone from another locality? Is there a representative from Houston here? Do we have a brother from Houston that can put this out here? Is there a brother from Houston? And then we need a brother from Oklahoma City and a brother from Denton. Or a sister. Okay, come on, somebody from Houston. Houston's not going to represent? Okay. Okay, do we have... Nobody from Houston. Okay, come on up, bro. That's right. Okay, your name's Joshua. Okay, good. Yes, Are you a freshman? Yes, sir. Wonderful. Welcome. Okay. So, guys, God has a plan. Amen. Christ accomplished that plan. Amen. The Holy Spirit applies what he has accomplished. Yes. Yeah. Amen. And what after this? The kingdom is born. Yeah. Amen. Born, well, the kingdom issues in the new Jerusalem. Yeah. Amen. Very good, Houston. We don't have a problem in Houston. Okay, now, uh, can we have uh, Denton? Denton. Somebody from Denton? They're all in the front row. Come on. Okay, your name's Andy. Okay, go ahead, Andy. God has a plan. Amen. Christ accomplished that plan. Amen. The 
the Spirit applies the Christ to the complex. Amen. When the Spirit applies that, the church is produced. Amen. The church brings the kingdom. Amen. And the kingdom makes us the new Jerusalem. Amen. Amen. Okay, Oklahoma City. Somebody, somebody from Oklahoma City. Oh, okay, come on. Both of you brothers, come on up. Come on. Yeah. I'll tell you what, why don't we do it this way? We haven't done it like this. You do the first one, then you do the second one, kind of coordinate and go back and forth. Okay? Do you want to know God's eternal economy? Amen. Number one, God has a plan. Amen. Number two, the plan. Amen. Three, the Spirit applies what Christ accomplished. Amen. The church is produced. Amen. The church brings in the kingdom. Amen. The kingdom is the new Jerusalem. Amen. All right, very good. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Any sisters that would like to that yeah, come on. Where, where are you from? Okay, great. What's your name? I'm sorry? What's your name? Sherry. Sherry, okay, just let it rip. Go, <laughs> Sherry. So, yeah. God has a plan. Amen. Christ accomplished this plan. Amen. The Spirit is applying what Christ accomplished. Amen. Amen. The church, the church brings in the kingdom. Amen. The kingdom issues in the new Jerusalem. Amen. Okay, great. Okay, let's. Very good. Okay, so when you go back, you have something now. When they ask you, what did we share? Do we? Anybody else? We're all finished here. Okay, great. All right, thank you for coming. Thank you. All right. Somebody's sheet. iPad. <laughs> Whose is this? Ty. Yeah, don't forget this. <laughs> you might need notes for the future here, right? Okay, so uh, tonight, you know, if you look at the title of the first message, it starts with the plan, the purpose, and the desire of God's heart. So here's my first question to you. Roman number one says the desire of God's heart. Why do we start with the desire? Why don't we start with the plan or the purpose? Why do we start with the desire? I just want you to think about this for a second. Oh, I heard somebody over here. Oh, you don't, you don't count, Tom. <laughs> Why is that? Let me ask the, the students. Why are we starting with the desire? I mean, if you look at the outline, it says plan, purpose, and desire. Amen. Why do we start with the desire? Yes, could you say that one more time, brother? Yeah, did you hear what he said? He's absolutely right. The very source of God's plan is his desire. Listen, listen, with all of us, if you trace back any purpose that we have in our life, any plan that we have in our life, you trace it all the way back, deep within us there's a desire. You know, some of these freshmen that we've met... <laughs> It's funny because, yeah, I didn't grow up in Texas. I mean, even though I've been Texanized a little bit, you know, I say y'all and I'm fixing to do this and, you know, but, but I, I, I talk to these freshmen and they'll go, 
Yeah, when I was seven years old, my whole desire was to come to UT. And I even, you know, I had my bed made, and it looked like a longhorn or something like that. And, and uh, I just look at him, okay. <laughs> you know, but, you know, the point is, there was a desire in that person Amen. way back. And then based on that desire, there was a lot of purpose in that person's life. And then based on that purpose, there was a lot of planning. So I want you to see this first. Number one, God has a desire. And then we have to ask our questions. The question is this, what is it? What is God's desire? Okay, anybody want to venture a guess what God's desire is? Okay, did you hear that one? That's not bad. Okay, and that's really the emphasis with his counterpart is Christ. But we're talking about God and his plan. So what do you think God's desire is? What did you say? Okay, that's not bad to build a relationship. Okay. Okay, wait, what did you say? Okay, you know, all you got to do is read number point A. <laughs> That's why I want you to read the outline, okay? The outline says, let's read A together, ready? Okay, brothers, this is God's desire. This is the, the desire of his heart. If you look at Ephesians 1.5, that first verse there, do you see where we get desire from? Okay, let's read Ephesians 1.5, ready, go. Okay, so he predestinated us unto heaven. What does it say? Many people, though, if you ask them what they're predestinated unto, they would say, I'm predestinated unto heaven. What does the Bible say? Sonship. Okay, I'm predestinated unto salvation. Is that what the Bible says? The Bible says we're predestinated unto what? Sonship. And then that sonship is through Jesus Christ to himself. According to what? This is where we get desire. Okay, I'm going to tell you all now, I don't care if this is on the tape, we're going to have our cell phones going off left and right with, you know, flood warnings. Okay, so can you all put it on vibrate right now? If you've got a cell phone and you haven't put it on vibrate, put it on vibrate right now, and that way when the flood warnings come, they're not going to be, you know, filling up the, the meeting hall. Okay. So, that sonship is according to his good pleasure. This is the desire of his heart, is to have many sons. And then, could you all read Romans 8, 29? Ready, go. Because those who he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Right, so, even before the world began, he foreknew. And he predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be what? Firstborn among what? Many brothers. Okay, so now I want you to begin to write down a few points. Okay, number one, when we say the word son, what does that denote? I want you to think about this for a second. There are mainly two things that we want you to get tonight. When we say the word son, you're predestinated unto sonship. I think you all agree with that. The word says it. So when we say the word son, what do we, 
What does that denote? Okay, number one, write this down. It denotes that you have a certain life and nature. That's number one. In other words, we have God's life and we have God's nature. Okay, if you're not a son, you won't have the same life and the same nature. You know, I wish that we had like a father and son here tonight and we could bring them up here and we'd say, you see, why can, do we have one? Chris, is your son here? No. <laughs> okay, spiritual. Right. But anyways, the point is this, is for someone to be a genuine son, they have to have the same life and nature as their father. So that's number one. And then number two, expression. So when we say son, we denote two things there. Number one, life and nature. Number two, expression. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit tonight about expression. Are there any English majors in here? Okay, have you ever written a poem? Okay, was it ever published? Okay, some, some, you know, have written essays or poems and things like that. They read a poem, and wouldn't you say with a poem there's a lot of expression there? But still, as much expression as there, in a, as there is in a poem, it's still limited. Okay, how about those, you know, all the Denton people are here. How about uh, those that study music? Anybody that studies music here? Oh, okay, okay, now, you know, you know with, with music, you think about that, with a piece, you know, an instrument, you play a piece, there's some expression there. And uh, you could say that's beautiful, that expression, but even with that, still it's somewhat limited. Even though there's expression there, it's somewhat limited. But if you have a living person, I want you to just think about this. With a living person, with every action, there's expression. Actually, with every reaction, there's expression. If the person speaks, there's expression. If the person doesn't speak, there's expression. Do you know where God gets the most expression in the universe? It's through many sons. That's where God gets the most expression in the universe. Okay, you think about how rich our God is. Name some of the riches just in his attributes, love, kindness, mercy, compassion, humility. You think of all the riches. How about this one, peace? How rich he is in peace. Okay, you know, here we are, and uh, we're just bopping along in our daily life. Everything's fine. And then uh, we go to class. And uh, the teacher hands us a piece of paper. And there's a letter grade on that piece of paper. What happened to the piece? <laughs> Shows how limited we are in peace. This God, listen, he's rich in peace. And he wants many, many sons to express him. You know, I can think of one son. You know what his name was? The Apostle Paul. And if you read in Acts 27, you know, he was on a ship. And that ship went through some tumultuous times. They had to jettison all the cargo, and they had to, you know, they thought they were going to lose their lives. And right in the middle of that, and you can write down these as references, Acts 27, 22, and 25. You know what Paul, he uses an expression that's not in the New Testament anywhere else. You know what expression he uses? Cheer up. Amen. Cheer up. Amen. Cheer up. Take some food. Cheer up. 
He was an expression of the God of peace. Amen. He was not shaken at all by that. God needs, listen, think of all the riches that God has. How much he needs sons to express how rich he is. You know, this is, this is why it's important. It's really important. You're here tonight. It's important that the sons are all gathered here tonight because God needs many sons that he could be expressed on the earth. And listen, these sons are not individual. It's together that they express God corporately. Okay, you know, we have these verses here, Ephesians 1, and 25. You know, we just had, we had, uh, this is constituted together as a body to express the son. Okay, we just had Ephesians 1, 5, predestinated unto sonship, right? And then Ephesians 1.22, all these sons are together, and you read what it says, he subjected all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is what? His body, the fullness of the one who fills all in all. His body is the fullness of the one who fills all in all. First there's sons, then there's a corporate body that expresses him. Then in Romans 12, Let's all read that together. Ready? Go. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and again, in Romans, you know, in Romans 8, he talks about sons there. And he says, you know, he'd be the firstborn among many brothers. And then these sons make up the body of Christ. So together, the sons make up the body of Christ. And there's a rich expression there in the body. You know, you think about it. By, by yourself, there's some expression, but when people touch the body of Christ, what type of expression do they touch? It is a fullness of the one who fills all in all. There's a rich, rich expression there. Okay, then number two, let's read the purpose of God's heart. Let's read Ephesians 1.9. Ready? Go. So eventually, the desire became a purpose. And I want you to write this down for the word purpose. Purpose is his determined intent. God has a determined intent, and that intent is many sons. You know, any living person you consider wants something. And God is the most living person in the universe, and what he wants is sons. And so... He has an intention, and that intention is, I want to have many sons. So, you know, a lot of times when we come to the Bible, uh, we come in this way. Um, what can I get out of the Bible? What can God do for me? I need this, I need that. We have a, a kind of uh, a disease called, I need a. I just need so much. You know, what can I get? I want something. I want peace. I want joy. I want salvation. I want this. Can we have a, like a, a little turn tonight and just say this, God, what do you want? See, we all have to have a paradigm shift. We all have to have a turn. Lord, what do you want? Um, too many times when we come to the Bible and we think about things, you know, Christian things, we think about what can I get? But we need to have a turn. Lord, what do you want? What is your determined intention? What are you after? And listen, 
Once you see that his determined intention is many sons, everything makes sense. Everything. You think about it. Why did God create man in his image after his likeness for sons? Why you, did, did man put, why did God put man in front of the tree of life so that he could have sons? And then after man fell, why the very first thing is there the blood there to bring man back to God? You know, you just consider throughout the whole Bible, everything is revolving around this determined intention. Everything. Why did God create man in three parts? Why does man have a spirit so that he can touch God, contact God, receive God? You just consider everything in the Bible is just revolving around this determined intention that he could have many sons. Why was the law given? So that we could realize how sinful we are and how much we need a savior, a child conductor to bring us to Christ. When Christ came, you know, why did he become a man? Because we needed a standard model. We needed a prototype of what a son of God looks like. And why did Christ have a human living? Because we needed to see the living of a son of God as a model, as a pattern for us on the earth. And why did Christ die on the cross? So that he could deal with all the incompatibility in our being to make us so compatible with God that we could be sons, receive his life. And why did he resurrect so that he could become the spirit and get into us? And you just go on and on and on. And eventually, you know what? It all points to the determined intention. God wants many sons. Everything. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen these. They have these uh, things where it's a, it's a kind of a painting, and there's like little dots everywhere. And you look at it, it doesn't make any sense. And then, you know, according to the way they tell you to do it, if you have like a little light shining in the middle of it, and you look at that light, all of a sudden... All those dots, there's a 3D picture that just appears right there, and there's the Starship Enterprise right in front of you. You just thought you were looking at a bunch of dots, and, and then you see what's really there. You know what? Listen, with most people, when they talk about the Bible, it's a bunch of dots. It's miracles here, history there. It's a story there. Uh, it's a great battle there. It's morality. It's law. It's don't do this, do this. It's just dots. But I'll tell you what, when you get the light that God's determined intention is to have sons, whole Bibles open to you, yeah. wide open to you. So, so don't you want to have a turn tonight? I want a turn. Lord, give us a turn. Lord, what do you want? What are you after, you know? And, uh, and so then you have the plan. I really like that because, you know, once you have a purpose, you've got to make a plan. You have to make a plan. And that plan is his economy. And it's his administrative arrangement to dispense himself into his chosen and predestinated people. Okay, you know what? You don't become a son by acting. And you don't become a son by imitating. Okay, I want, you to, I want you to think about this for a second. You do not become a son by trying to be one. You know, you know why when you go to the circus and uh, you see the bear riding on the motorcycle? You know why that's funny? 
because it's a bear trying to be a human without the human life. That's why it's funny. And why is, you know, the monkey's there and the monkey's playing the drums? Why is that funny? It's funny because the monkey's trying to do what a human does, but without the human life. You know what? When a Christian tries to act like a son of God without God's life, it's peculiar. That's funny. That's the bear on the motorcycle. You know, brothers, we're here for reality. This is what we're here for. And you know what? In his plan, this big word that should be shining out and should be circled and colored and everything uh, you want to put on it is the word economy. And I want to tell you what that word economy means. Economy comes from two Greek words. It's the word oikonomia. It comes from oikos, which means house, and nomia, which means law. You put those two together, oikonomia is house law household administration to get all the riches of the household to the members of the household you know what god wants to do god wants to get all his riches dispensed into man that man can become sons of god with his life with his nature and full of his expression so you know how sometimes you know like they'll give you these little psychology tests and they'll say you know they're going to shout out a word and uh, then you give the first thing that comes to your mind. So, uh, brother, what's your name? Jeremy. Jeremy. Blue. Red. Okay, so he says red, okay? Red. Blue, orange. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should ask some sisters. I thought you'd say sky or something like that. Okay, let me ask some sisters over here. <laughs> okay. Ready? Okay, okay, here's the word. Uh, happy. Smile. There you go. Okay. All right. So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to speak a word, and I, wanna, I want you to tell me the first word that comes to your mind. Ready? Economy. Okay. So we have God, Christ. Okay. Now I'm going to say it again. Ready? You haven't gotten it yet. Ready? Economy. Okay. We got house. What was the other thing? What? I didn't hear it. Okay. Now... Okay, ready? This is what I'm really looking for. When I say the word economy, you know what the first thing that should come to your mind? Dispensing. Economy. Okay, speak it to your neighbor right now. Okay, you know what the way is? I really want you to get this. The way he's going to get sons is by dispensing. This is the way he's going to get sons. There's no other way that he's going to get sons. It's by dispensing. So when we say the word economy, and we say it a lot around here, and I'm sure even you've been around for a short period of time, you've heard this word economy. The first thing that should come to your mind, the brothers are talking about dispensing. They're talking about God in his household administration working all that he is into man. Okay, this is God's economy. Uh, So... Paul was a steward of this economy, and he was preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ as the gospel. And then you come down, and you see that this eternal economy aid, you see where I'm at on the sheet, was being made where? Okay, so economy. Where's it made? Okay, 
Dispensing is in Christ, okay? I want you to get that. That dispensing was being made in Christ. And in order for that dispensing to take place, and I think, Carrie, I need you to help draw the picture up here. Okay, could you draw the first little line up there? Yeah. And then you can sit down. I just want to go point by point. This, this economy was made in Christ. So first of all, that first little line right there. Good. Okay. And we could say that, no, not, don't do the whole picture. Just that right there. Okay. Yeah. You can stay, you can come up as we get to each one. Okay. Christ, in, in Colossians 2.9, it says, for in him dwells all the fullness of what? The Godhead bodily. So, the very first thing is, Christ is the divine person. Okay, I want you to get that. He was eternal, and he's divine. Amen. Okay, he is the embodiment of God. Okay, and this Christ then was incarnated. Okay, and Carrie already drew that line there. You can put I-N-C on it, Carrie. Yeah. And so could we read John 1.14? Ready? Go. And the Word became flesh and among us. Okay, now, again, I want to ask this question. When you think of the word incarnation, what's the first word that comes to your mind? You see, many people, when they hear the word incarnation, I'll tell you what comes to their mind. There's a scene. Camels. Donkeys. Hay. Wise men, a manger. I mean, you have to get the whole scene. You know, in Austin, we even have a place you can go by during that time of year, and they have all the animals out there and everything like that. When people think of incarnation, they think of that scene. Okay, I'd like to give you another word. So when I say economy, what do you say? When I say incarnation, what do you say? No, no. I want you to get this one word when I say incarnation, and this is the real significance of incarnation, mingling. Amen. This was the first time in the history of the universe that God was mingled with his creation in the person of Christ. God joined the human race. So this, to me, is a big, big thing, is that with Christ, there's the mingling of God and man. And with this mingling, there was something brought forth that was never there before, and that was a person, now listen closely what I'm about to say, was at the same time 100% God and 100% human at the same time. And yet it was so mingled that when you touch one, you got the other. Okay, you think about it. The Lord's there. And, uh, you, know, you know that little story where he goes up and, and the little 12-year-old girl was dead. And he goes up into the room with James and John, Peter. And uh, he says something like this, Talitha kum. Little girl, I say to you, arise. Wouldn't you say that was really the exercise of his divinity? That was powerful. That little girl rose right there. There was divinity there. It was awesome. You know what the very next words out of his mouth were after that little girl arose? Give her something to eat. There was humanity there. In other words, if you touch this person, if you touched his divinity, you got his humanity. Amen. And if you touched his humanity, 
you got his divinity. This was the mingling of God and man. And you can go through and find many, many cases where he would do something just so amazing, and then he would take care of something in such a common, you know, the, the disciples, you know, they backslid, they fished all night, and, uh, and, you know, he says, okay, you know, children, do you have any food? Do you have any bread? And what does he say? They said, no. And they said, well, cast your net on the other side of the boat, and what happens? Miracle. Unbelievable. 153 fish. It was a miracle. And then they're dragging the fish to shore. And then what's going on on the shore? There's a charcoal fire. The fish are already on the fire. And the Lord says, come and dine. You touched his divinity. And then you got his humanity. You touch his humanity. You get his divinity. You know, with us sometimes, you know, you just think about us. You know, a lot of times we're very, very spiritual. You know, we need to exercise our spirit. We need to enjoy the Lord. And so uh, we think it's all spiritual. Actually, you know, many times what the Lord touches about? Clean up the bathroom. Wash the dishes. Pick up that leave on the floor. You know, the brothers in the brother's house? I believe. I don't care how much you enjoy the Lord at that meeting. The Lord is speaking. And many times, you know what he's speaking? You need to take care of something in the house. Then on the other side of the corner, you know, some, some of us, we're really, I mean, studying is everything to us. We're going to get A's. We're going to do well in school. And so you're really doing it before the Lord. And you know what the Lord touches you with? You better go to the meeting. You touch his humanity, you get his divinity. Amen. You know what? This man, I want you to get this was the mingling of God and man. He was 100% God, and he was 100% man. And this man became the model, the standard model for all the sons of God. So, you know, you think about it. The child Jesus is born, and then what happens out in the field? The angels are there, and they're rejoicing, and they're saying glory to God in the highest. It's almost like, you know how some of these companies will have some new thing, it might be a new car that they're unveiling, and everybody's in the audience, or, or Steve Jobs, when he was alive, was there, and, and they, you know, they, they pull up the curtain, and you see the next you know, generation of iPhone, and everybody's clapping, and everybody excited. Let me tell you, that was nothing compared to what happened on the day of incarnation. Because on the day of incarnation, there was a God-man as a standard model for the rest of the sons of God that was brought forth. And there was nothing but rejoicing when the angels saw that. The, glory to God, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. There was amazing... There, okay, human living. Okay, let's read John 1.18. Okay, so Carrie, can you put the line for human living, HL. And I want you to be taking this down because guess what? We're going to have some volunteers to go through this chart. Okay, so don't fall asleep. Get all these points here. Okay, now you don't, have to, you don't have to give all the detail I'm giving, but I just want you to be able to go through this chart. Okay, so in John 1.18 it says, No one has ever seen God, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He, he has declared him. His human living was a declaration. 
This is what God is like. Do you want to know what God is like? Do you know how he reacts in certain situations? Do you know how he feels about things? The living of the God-man Jesus tells you this is what God is like. Do you want to know what he's like? You look at this living. And the four Gospels present that living in many, many different ways. And there is a reason, and this is the intrinsic significance of human living. Why could there be, and I want to ask you this, and I want you to think about the answer. Why could there be such a declaration from this one person? Why could there be such an expression of the Father from this person in his human living? Where you wanted to know God, you just looked at Christ. I want, to, I, want you to, I want you to go a step deeper in his human living. You know, like with incarnation, I said, the real significance there is mingling. Now, what is the real significance with human living? Why could you have a man on the earth that could so much express God with whatever he did? I want you to think about this. And this is critical that you get why he, there could be such a man like this. Anybody want to take a guess? Say again? Well, he was a testimony, but why? What was it that made him such a testimony? How could he be such a testimony? That's true. Okay, that's good. He was absolute for God. Very good. You still haven't hit what I'm looking for. And I'll tell you, if you get this, you'll see what human living is all about. Anybody else want to take a guess? Okay, that's very good. There was an expression, but what I'm looking for is something a little deeper, is why was there such an expression? Okay, did somebody say something over here? Okay, could you explain a little more? Okay, God's Spirit was in him. That's getting closer, okay? Closer, but not exact. Say again? Divine attributes. Okay, now. Okay. Okay, that's not bad, okay? Not bad. I mean, no. Jason, that was good. Okay, now write this down. The reason there could be such an expression in his human living was there was a person that lived by another life. I really want you to get this. He lived by the Father's life. Was he perfect? Yes. Did he have sin? No. Was there any flaw? No. And yet still, even though he was perfect, he had no flaw, he chose every action, every reaction, everything he did, he would live by another life. And because he lived by another life, there was a complete expression of God the Father. So eventually, Philip could say, show us the Father. And what did the Lord say to Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, because this was a person living by another life. Look at these verses here. How about sisters? Read John 8. Go ahead, sisters. Okay, so he says, I do nothing from myself. Think about that. I do nothing from myself. As my Father has taught me, I speak these things. Okay, brothers, could you read John 12, 49? For I have not 
Okay, can you imagine that there was a man living on the earth? There was not one molecule of resistance between him and the father. Okay, how about when your mother asks you to do something? How many molecules of resistance are there? I just want, I want you to kind of have some reference how deep this is. That with this person, there was not one molecule of resistance between him and the father. Sisters, how about it? When mom asks you to do something, is there not one molecule of resistance? Danielle, how about it? See, you don't have to answer me, Danielle, because I already know I have a 15-year-old daughter. I already know the molecules of resistance. I got a lot of them today, which is probably fitting because I was going to share tonight. But um, anyways, not one molecule of resistance. He lived by another life. And he did it in everything. You think about the way he picked his disciples. Okay, I want you to think about this. Luke 6, he prays all night before he chooses the 12 disciples. Let me ask you a question. Do you think he didn't know that Judas was going to betray him? He knew Judas was going to betray him. And he was there, and, and you know, he could have been, you know, Father, I'm okay with Peter, Andrew, and John, and James, but, but are you sure about Judas? You know, there could have been a little few molecules of resistance there. No. He lived by another life, fully in oneness with the Father. The Father says, you pick Judas, he picks Judas. And you know what? All through the Gospels, if you read the way he treated Judas, no differently than the other brothers. He was in absolute oneness with the Father. Okay, you think, there's so many different things you consider. How about toward miracles? Think about the way he performed miracles. Do you think there was anything flashy when the Lord performed a miracle? Anything egotistical when he performed a miracle? You know what? There was a man there in oneness with the Father, discerning the Father's intention in that situation. And then based on that discernment, he would perform the miracle or he wouldn't perform the miracle. There was times when he said there's not enough faith here. He didn't perform the miracles. He was in absolute oneness with the Father when he performed the miracles. Think about that. How about us when we do something great? You give a great testimony. All the brothers are coming up, patting you on the back. Wow, you made Jose Luis cry in the meeting. <laughs> wow. How, what, what's our feeling inside? Oh, we need this man, don't we? We need this man. You know what? He's, he's about, you know, they're there with the disciples. They don't have enough food. And, uh, and you know, the disciples, he tells, he says, uh, you give them something to eat. That's what he says to them. And he says, we don't have enough food here. You know, we should send them to the villages. No, you give them something to eat. And uh, then he said, well, all we have is five loaves and two fishes. What's the first thing the Lord did in that miracle? What's the first thing he did? Looking up to heaven. First thing he did, looking up to heaven. First thing he did was in oneness with the Father. 
Eventually that miracle came out. How about the opposers? Let's think about the opposers. There he is. Okay, here we come to Luke chapter 12. And, you know, if you read, I mean, Luke 15, sorry. In Luke 15, there are the opposers, and they're murmuring. Here's the Lord. He wants to be with tax collectors and sinners. He loves man, and they're murmuring. What would your response be? Just think about it. Hey, Brian, don't you know I'm the son of God? Don't you know I came to save sinners? You know, we'd say something strong to those Pharisees. You know, with this one, he was acting in oneness with the Father, not reacting, but in oneness with the Father. Do you know what eventually happens in Luke 15? He unveils an unbelievable portrait of the triune God, the shepherd finding the lost sheep, the woman finding the lost coin, the loving father receiving the prodigal son back to him. You know how he answered the opposers? By unveiling the triune God in his operation to gain man. That's how he dealt with the opposers. He was absolutely one with the Father. Brothers, when we talk about human living, that right there, that HL, I hope that what gets into us is, okay, he was, what would Jesus do? What, you know, my son one time, he came, you know, he came home from school. He was going to a, a Christian school, and, you know, they'd win little prizes for, uh, you know, quoting Bible verses. So he brought me a penny, and it had WWJD on it. What would Jesus do? Okay, human living, let me tell you this, is not WWJD. And if I offend you, I'm sorry, but I'm here for reality, and I want you to get this. Human living is about a man, Jesus Christ, living by another life. Not considering what the Father would do, not saying, well, he'd be kind in this situation, he'd be loving in this situation, so I better be loving. No. He was one with the Father and living by that life. This is human living. Please pick up this point. So, again, when, we, when I say incarnation, what's the first word that comes to you? Mingling. Mingling. Okay, when I say human living, what's the first thing that comes to you? Living by another life. Okay, then we come to his crucifixion. And you know what? Crucifixion has so much to do with the sonship. Okay, Kerry, can you draw the little cross there on there? Look at that verse, Galatians 4, 5. Could you all read that? Go. That he might redeem those under law, that we might receive Did you ever consider that you were redeemed to receive the sonship? We're predestinated under sonship, but eventually Christ accomplished when we say that, we mean that. God planned and Christ accomplished. He redeemed us that we might receive the sonship. Here was the problem. Before man fell, man was completely compatible with God. Completely. In his image, after his likeness, just like the hand in the glove. Compatible. Completely compatible. When sin came in, this thing that was so compatible with God became so incompatible with God. When Christ died on the cross, do you know what Christ did? And remember this for crucifixion. He took away the incompatibility. Okay, you look at that verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Ready, go. Right. 
Christ died for our sins. He took away sin. He took away the incompatibility so that we could receive his life. Then, not only did he take away the incompatibility, but he took away the improper expression, the self. You look at Galatians 2.20, he says, well, just read those first five words there in Galatians 2.20. Ready? Go. I am Good enough. I am crucified with Christ. That ugly self is crucified. Can you imagine? Think about it. Let's say that your sins were all forgiven. The incompatibility was taken away, but the self remained. Can you imagine having that ugly self remain for eternity? Oh, my. That's a horror show, isn't it, Carrie? You know, but you know what? Not only was the incompatibility taken away, the self was crucified. Okay, then let's go on to resurrection. Okay, Carrie, can you do a little line there for resurrection? Okay, in resurrection, this was like a birth to Jesus. If you read Acts 13.33, I want you to pay attention to this verse where it says, God has fully fulfilled this promise to us, their children, in what? Raising up Jesus. Is this resurrection? Raising up Jesus. So, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have what? That resurrection was a begetting. Christ had a birth in resurrection, and in resurrection he became the firstborn son. That's why Romans 8.29 says, because those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You know, brother was telling me one time, you know, he, he, there's many children in his family, and he was telling me something that happened. So his mother went into labor, and uh, the doctor was there, and, and uh, you know, the baby came out. And uh, the, the mother was uh, just relieved. Baby's born. You know what the doctor said to her? You're not done yet, because there were twins. There was another one there. You know what? When Christ... Resurrected from the dead, he wasn't done yet. Because, you know, you see all the twins that are sitting in this room right here? Do you know that we were begotten in resurrection? That was a big delivery room. You think about it, the resurrection was a mass delivery. You look at that verse, 1 Peter 1, 3, we should all read it. Ready, go. Okay, we all, you got to turn the page. Wow, man. Okay, turn the page, 1 Peter 1, 3, ready, go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has regenerated us unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we were regenerated through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was a massive delivery when Christ was resurrected. Was Christ resurrected? Yes. Justin, when were, you, when were you born again? When were you begotten? You know what it says there? In resurrection. During the resurrection, we all were begotten. Every one of us. Okay, and then, you know, of course, you know, the Lord, after he resurrected, Mary saw him and he said, Jesus said to her, Don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to the, to the Father, but go to what? My brothers. You know, the most intimate term in John before that was friends. But here he says, go to my brothers and say to them, 
I ascend to my Father and your Father. Now, God is their Father. In resurrection, they became brothers and God became their Father. So in Hebrews 2, 11 and 12, this is one of my favorite verses for this. Okay, I want to ask, first of all, before I read the verse, how many over here have a pet dog that they really like? Okay, what's the name of your dog? Mistletoe, okay, missile. So you really love this dog, right? You, I bet you miss, being at UT, you miss that dog. Or does the dog come with you? I'm not sure, but okay. Now, let's say that I came to your house for the first time, and old missile was sitting there on the couch, and you say, uh, Neil, I'd like to introduce you to my brother. Would you ever say that missile was your brother or your sister? No, 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 you have to answer the question. I know he's part of the family. Now, let me say it again. If I came in and Missile was sitting there on the couch, would you say, Neil, I want you to meet my brother? I wouldn't. I would say I would like you to meet my cousin. Yeah. Okay, now, you stand up and read this Hebrews verse. You stand up and read this. Hebrews 2, 11, and 12. A couple of sisters can stand up together, read it together. Okay, go ahead. 2, 11, 12? Yeah. For both. No, Hebrews 2, 11, 12. Okay, stop right there. You are ashamed to call Missile your brother. But God is not ashamed to call you his brother. He's not ashamed. I don't care how close you, you have a pet, you are never going to introduce him as, meet uncle so-and-so. Meet brother so-and-so. You're never going to say that. You know why? It is not the same life in nature. But because we have the same life and nature through resurrection, he is not ashamed to call us brothers. Wow. This is a great thing. Yeah. Don't ever belittle yourself. Too much of the time the enemy likes to put us under. You're too poor. Look at what you did. No. The Lord says, I'm not ashamed to call this one my brother. And then he even says, I'm going to declare your name. This is the father's name to my brothers in the midst of the church. I'll sing hymns of praise to you. So in resurrection, I just want you to realize there was a birth there. Christ became the firstborn. He was the only begotten, but he became the firstborn. And we became the many brothers of the firstborn in resurrection, where he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Hey, Jude, he's not ashamed. Not ashamed to call you, Jude, a brother. How do you like that verse? Yeah, I love it, too. Okay, ascension. Okay, Carrie, can you... Put another little line up there for ascension. Okay, we're getting ready, so we're coming down the home stretch. So remember all these words because you're all going to come up here and, and share because your sharing is much richer than mine. More living. Okay, so ascension. This one here, it says, God exalted to his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So leader, he's directing everything. Who your parents were. How did they meet? He directed that. Where you lived. 
where you grew up, who you went to school with, everything was under his direction. Even the bad things in your life were under his direction because at one time he wanted to become your savior. He's a leader and a savior. You know, you know uh, when I was in high school, well, I don't even know, was I yet in high school, quite young, my father was killed by a drunken driver. And, uh, you know, you might look at that and just go, wow, that is... I mean, it just shook the whole family, just crushed us. So you might think, wow, what, what good can come out of this? Okay, I want you to realize that he, even in something as horrific as that, he is still the leader so that he can be the Savior. And, I, and I'll tell you what happened. Eventually, my mother met a man. I was living in Boston at the time, and uh, my mother met a man from New Orleans, and uh, so he um, eventually was going with my mother and married my mother. And I was getting very close to picking a college. And uh, so uh, I got into six universities. And he said, okay, he said, you can go to any university that you want. But if you go to LSU in Baton Rouge, I'll give you a car. <laughs> and uh, you have to understand, I'm not kind of the, you know, all A type of person, you know. I was kind of more the, you know, the B lane. You know, I, I was, I was good, but I wasn't great, you know. And uh, so I thought, hmm, if I go to LSU, I can get a car. So uh, come home, and there's a '66 Ford Mustang, Grabber Blue, sitting in the driveway. And let me tell you, brothers, if you know anything about cars, that thing had something. <laughs> 289, eight valves, powerful. I love that car, sorry. <laughs> you know what, you know what, that was all under the leader. You might think, well, you mean a leader gave you a Ford Mustang? Yes, the leader gave me a Ford Mustang. You better believe it. So I would get down far away. I want you to think about this. Here I am, I'm raised a Jew in the Jewish culture in Boston, I had to get far away from the friends, from the atmosphere, from the relatives. I had to get far away. So the leader gave me a 1966 Ford Mustang, and I drove down to LSU, and I went to school there, and I got saved the beginning of my sophomore year. Amen. And I want to tell you, that was the leader. Amen. And so many times things happen in our life that we look at like, how could this happen? This is all for the Lord to be your Savior. He, in ascension, is the leader so that he could be your Savior. Okay, then finally, the descension. Carrie, can you draw another little line there? And, and you can draw the three circles if you want. Um, so he's in ascension. And it, to me, it's like this. It's like Hoover Dam. This is what ascension's like. So Hoover Dam is there, and how much water is Hoover Dam holding back? Just millions of gallons of water. And it's like this. When the Lord appeared to the disciples in the upper room on the day of resurrection, there was a crack in the dam. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, and the water started flowing out of that dam. But 
on the day of Pentecost, the dam broke. And that water was released. And I want you to read Acts 2.33. Go ahead and read that. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, He has poured out this which you both see and hear. Brothers, there was a pouring out. Eventually, I don't have the verse here, but it says that He poured out His Spirit upon all flesh. And it comes to pass, it says, that whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what? On the day of Pentecost, in his ascension, that spirit was poured out. You know the guy sitting next to you in class who seems like he's not open to the gospel? That spirit's been poured out. I'm telling you, it's been poured out. He might not be that open now, but if he would just say, Lord Jesus something would happen to that person. The spirit is that close. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. It's close. It's there. It's ready. And, you know, we had this one brother, you know, we used to go out at night and preach the gospel. And so there was a group of brothers and they were on this place we call the drag where they, you know, the bookstore and things like that. And, and they went up to this guy and he had a long ponytail and a motorcycle jacket. And they, you know, and they, you know, kind of give him a gospel track and you know, just mean face, took the track, watered it up, and just kept walking. So how do you think those brothers felt? Okay, let me tell you something. The Spirit is poured out upon all flesh. You know what happened after he left? He got convicted. The Lord touched him. And luckily, at the end of the block, there was another group of brothers. <laughs> this is a true story. And those brothers preached the gospel, and guess what? The Spirit got in. I just want you to realize that Spirit is poured out upon all flesh. So we have to speak, saints. No matter what the reaction is, we have to speak and believe. It's so close. It's in their heart. It's in their mouth. If they say that name, Lord Jesus, He'll come into them. Okay, so we have, I need a couple of volunteers now to go through. You don't have to go through in detail like I did. But I just want you to go through, okay, his dispensing. Remember we said that the way he's going to get sons is by his dispensing. You remember yeah. that, right? Right. Okay, economy. Amen. Okay, let me say it again. Economy. Dispensing. Okay, right. And the way he's going to fulfill that economy is in Christ. Amen. And then through this, in Christ, as the embodiment of God, becoming a man, human living, crucifixion, resurrection, eventually, through this process, which a lot of us call the wiring diagram, the triune God got installed into your being. Hallelujah. The day you said, Lord Jesus, that's when electricity got installed. Amen. Okay, so some brothers, now I think I've already called some brothers. How about uh, another brother from Austin that I didn't call? Come up and share this. Okay, Connor, very good. Come on up, Connor. Connor, you can do great. You can use the chart, look at it, but be released. Get a little excited, Connor. Be a little excited and tell us some of the significance of these things. Yeah, go ahead. So first of all, you want to start like God has this economy. 
Go ahead, repeat after God me. God has this economy. No, a little more. God has this economy. God has this economy. And yes. this economy is his dispensing. And this economy is his dispensing. And the way he, dis- he, he works out this economy, it's in Christ. And he works out this economy in Christ. Okay, go ahead. All right. <laughs> Got him going. Okay, you want to start do it again? Yeah, sure. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> God has an economy. Yes. This economy is to dispense himself in Christ to us. Amen. He accomplishes this through his incarnation. Yes. I don't know how much you want me to say, brother. Just get released. Amen. Just get released. Incarnation. Yeah. 100% God, 100% man. Yeah. You touch one, you get the other. Right. In his human living. Yes. Uh, amen. Yes. <laughs> His human living is him living by another life. Right. It's a pattern. Yes. It's not us doing something, but us living by another life. Right. And in his crucifixion, he took away all of our incompatibility. Yes. As well as taking away the self. Amen. And what happened next? What? He's resurrected. Yes. He became the many brothers to him. Yes. And then guess what? He ascended. He was our leader. Yes. So that he could become our savior. Yes. And then he, he descended upon us. He yes. descended and the spirit was poured out yes. to all of us. So that all we do is call Lord Jesus. Yeah. And we receive a little bit of his dispensing. Amen. More and more we just call his name and he dispenses more. Very and we good. Okay, good. That was good. No, no, it's good. Did you notice he got some of the points, like with incarnation? There's the mingling of God and man. Then he kind of Forgot a little bit about human living, living by another life, but you have to bring that in. Here's a man who lived by another life. Then he did really well on the cross. There's took away the incompatibility, then resurrection. It's a birth there for us. And then in ascension, he's the leader, the savior. See, what I want is I want you to go home and you could look up at the ceiling and see this chart. Yeah. It's just burned into your being. And you, all the points are just burned into you where you see it. This is how he works out his economy. This is how he works out the dispensing in Christ through what's on this chart here. Okay, stay up here. Let's get another brother. We need another volunteer. Come on up. Justin. Jason. Sorry, Jason. I got the J right. Okay, Jason, you're a freshman, right? We met you at orientation. Okay, wax. Just go wax forth. All right. I am not an art major. But what if I told you that I could draw God's economy? Okay. okay. So God's economy is dispensing. Yeah. So how does he dispense this? Well, somebody's got to do the dirty work. Who does it? Jesus. Yeah. Jesus goes out and accomplishes this plan. Amen. Let me show you this plan real quick. All right, good. All right. Yeah. So, down here, God comes down. He yeah. comes down to us with man. Yeah. Incarnation, what do we think of that? Mingling. Mingling. He is God. I see Jesus. I see God. It's the same person. I point it in two different directions. It's the same person. Good. Human life. He is living God's life. Yeah. No hesitation. Right. Same mind. The same spirit. The same thinking. Same life. Right. Crucifixion. He makes us able to be with God. He yes. takes away our sins. He yes. on the cross and bears it for us. Yeah. He dies for us. Yeah. And he's the firstborn brother. Yeah. The Lord is our father. He is also our brother. Amen. Yeah. That's 
defending. He's our leader. He is our reason for everything. Yes. He's the reason why we are here. Yeah. Why we drove in the rain to be here. Right. <laughs> He's coming into us. Yes. He's in our body, our mind, and our spirit. Yeah. And through that, we are expressing that to each other like I'm doing with you. And yeah. So I am pouring out my soul into your soul. Okay. So okay. God, and one thing you just got to add, and through that, we all become what? Sons of God. Sons of God. Yeah, say it. And through this, we are all sons of God. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Okay, I need somebody from the valley. We have a number. You stay here. No, Jason, you stay here. Okay, I need somebody from the valley. How many are here from the valley? Where, where's the valley? Okay, is there one brother or one sister? Kayla. Can you come up? Very good. <laughs> Kayla is like one of the first fruits from the valley, right? Okay, you just, we want to see all the riches that come from the valley. Okay. No pressure. No. no pressure. Okay, so God became man. Amen. Because he became man, he was incarnated. Yes. So because he was incarnated, he became as a human living. Yes. And what really touched me is that when we touch humanity, we also touch his divinity. Amen. When we touch his divinity, we also touch his humanity. Amen. So because he did his human living, he also was crucified. Yeah. He was crucified and he gave us life. Amen. So his, cru his crucifixion, yeah. he ascended, he became our leader. Yes. Become one with man. Amen. One with God. Yeah. He was the firstborn among many brothers. Amen. And I remember in the last internship yeah. that Jesus never called them brothers. He called them friends. Yeah. Uh -huh. But because he was ascended and became the firstborn, right. we became brothers with him. Yeah. We are now one body. And, and he's not he's not ashamed what? He is not ashamed to call us brothers. Amen. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, man. Great. Okay. All right. How about how about a sister from Denton? Sister from Denton. You know, Tom. I know you have a lot of sisters there from Denton, right? Okay. Where where are those sisters from Denton? Where are they? Any sisters from Denton want to come up? No. Okay. Well, we we can go. Uh, uh, Anybody? I mean, I can go quick and go over, you know, to uh, Oklahoma. Is there a sister from Oklahoma or Dallas? A brother or sister from Dallas? No? This is your chance right now. Okay. All right, Jude. All right. Come on, Jude. Yeah. Praise the living God. Amen. Our God has an eternal purpose. Amen. And an economy. Amen. Yeah. Spends himself into man. Amen. So the first step, God was incarnated and became a man. Amen. One hundred percent God, one hundred percent man. Amen. So when you touch, when you touch his humanity, you touch his divinity. Right. Praise the Lord. Amen. So 
as he became a man, he had a human living. Right. And this human living was by another source. Yeah. He lived by the Father. Yeah. So everything he did was according to the Father. Amen. Then he, he died, was crucified, right. buried, and resurrected. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. So on the cross, he bore our sins. Amen. All our iniquities were yes. He resurrected and ascended and yes. seated on the right hand of the Father. Amen. Praise the living God. Amen. And through this, he became our leader. Yes. He dispensed himself right. into our spirit. Amen. Making us the many sons yes. and the many brothers of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, good. Thank you, brothers. Okay, we're going to have to stop the message here. Okay, I didn't get to Roman rule 4, but I'll just say, go over it very quickly with you. Uh, you know, he went through all these processes in Christ, and then how did he gain the target? Okay, A, you see under four, he selected us. And then B, he predestinated us. Eventually, C, he created us, but the special part is he created us with a spirit to contact, to contain God himself. This is the crucial part, that we could receive him. Uh, eventually, our spirit was regenerated, we became children of God. Our soul is being changed into his image. We're being conformed even in our body. And eventually you get to the new Jerusalem, which we'll see in the last message. Time is over. It's over. The world is over. The devil is over. Your problems are over. And the tests you're going to have Monday are over. <laughs> Listen, in the New Jerusalem, in the New Jerusalem, you know what? There are millions of sons expressing God corporately. All the other things are over. Okay, so praise the Lord. Did you enjoy God's economy tonight? I surely enjoyed it. And I think we'll stop here and we'll have some announcements. Okay.